RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, Monday is Health Hacks Day at Reality Check Radio, and it's great to catch up with Dr. Glenn Davies of ReversalNZ.co.nz. Once again, Glenn, welcome. Nice to see you and hear you again. It's lovely to be here, and I really do appreciate uh, the honour of being on your show. Oh, Glenn, (laughs) and I appreciate the honour of hearing from someone so knowledgeable and so sensible and so effective in clear communication. I appreciate that. No, thank you, Paul. And I've learned stuff and had a lot to think about, and I'm not the only one. So, all right, that's a nice way to start, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, finished now, all over. No. Okay, I've been looking forward to this one because I've heard these terms and only recently kind of I've been thinking about what they mean and, and you know, um, maybe I could talk to someone about this at some point. And here I have the opportunity. Germ theory versus terrain theory. I know what kind of what germ theory is. Terrain, I'm, you know, imagining someone running out in the, uh, in, in the wide open spaces or something, but I know it's not that. So, okay, let's start at that point. Germ theory versus terrain theory. Okay, so we, we go back to France. Um, I'm not sure what your um, French accent is like, but, but mine's appalling. But two um, French gentlemen, uh, early 19th century, um, both microbiologists, so Louis Pasteur and yep. Antoine Beauchamp. I think from memory, uh, Beauchamp was about four years Pasteur's senior. And... This was around the time that microscopes were starting to become powerful enough to see things they couldn't see before. Um, And they came up with two theories, which were sort of, in effect, the opposite of each other. So uh, so Louis Pasteur came up with germ theory. Mm. Uh, Basically, he went, uh, le germ, le germ. You know, it's all about the germs, the viruses, the bacteria, microorganisms and he discovered that bacteria caused fermentation so i think it was in wine that he was looking at and it caused the wine to go sour Uh, and he recognized and was able to see the bacteria and recognized that was the process he went on one step further and he realized that if you heated the the milk or the wine pasteurization yes that's where it comes uh, from comes from his name pasteur um, he realised that you could prevent that um, fermentation process. Uh, and then he was subsequently able to see the bacteria that caused the problem and pretty well tied, tied it all up. You know, he had, he had the, um, the proof and you could see it. So basically, uh, he won the argument and uh, Antoine Beauchamp sort of disappeared into uh, obscurity right. uh, until now. Oh, okay, he's made a comeback. Yeah, he's made a comeback. His his theory was that we are all exposed to viruses and bacteria and fungi all the time, but if the host is healthy, if the terrain is healthy, then um, it's a bit like water off a duck's back. You know, the the virus or the bacteria or the fungus won't invade the body. So if the host is healthy, then the bacteria doesn't have a chance, you know. So you can see how these arguments sort of were quite polar opposites of each other. And at the time, 
we were dealing with infectious diseases, you know, that's what we dealt with. We dealt, people died from pneumonia. They died from, I'm assuming, plague. They died from mm. pneumonia. And so it sort of all made sense. And we can kind of very clearly see why uh, Pasteur won that argument. And that was the research that led on to the development of antibiotics and vaccinations. Uh, and there were some other people around that time. There was uh, in England, there was uh, Joseph Lister and in Germany, Robert Koch. So together, this whole field of microbiology um, exploded, basically. And, and poor Antoine Beauchamp, he, um, he really didn't get any recognition for his ideas. Yeah, that um, seems to be the way things happen. Um, you, you've got specific um, problem and it's um, infectious diseases hitting everyone because of, you know, conditions weren't so good and, and you know, people living in what horrible overcrowded cities and things like that. Um, and then you get the microscope and someone looks through it and goes, oh my golly, there are little things in there. And of course, that's how it works. People buy the argument and the, the poor other guy He's also got a point is suddenly forgotten. He's, you know, the, the, he, he's sort of blocked out. Um, yes. I, I see that recently with um, now that the uh, Webb Ellis telescope or James Ellis or whatever it is, the telescope is, is up and there are galaxies there that shouldn't be there. And everyone would pile in on Big Bang. Now it's all oh, back it up, back it up. <laughs> you know, yeah, sa yeah. Sa kind of same. It's a pattern of human thinking, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think that's how science works. And I think as long as we're always open uh, to the possibility that we could be wrong or even completely wrong, uh, then then science will proceed. Well, that terrain theory then of Beauchamp, that, that also makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so the reason I say that Antoine Beauchamp is, is now having his day is that since about 1980, we've seen quite a dramatic change in the predominant types of diseases. You know, we've gone from the infectious disease era, which I would say lasted up to about 1980. We've now moved into the non-communicatable disease era or the lifestyle medicine disease era from about 1980 onwards. You know, and that's exemplified by the explosion or the pandemic of uh, overweight, type 2 diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, et cetera, et cetera. These, these are not diseases which are caused by microorganisms or by viruses. These are diseases that are caused by our lifestyle. And I think the reason why Beauchamp's ideas are making a comeback is we can't fix type 2 diabetes with a medicine or with a vaccine, uh, we need to deal with the cause of the problem, which is our lifestyles and particularly the way that we're eating. And there's an overrun, isn't there? Because we know that more now, but but the old way of, of dealing with, um, you know, the germ theory way is still, it, it's still rolling over that. Maybe it's yeah, beginning it to stop, but, you know. Yeah, because we need to expand. It's So it's not just... It's a germ causing the illness. You know, germ theory basically says we are all completely vulnerable and equally vulnerable. And if we're unlucky to enough to walk into the germ, we will all get sick. And, you know, we know that that is not the truth at all. Um, 
you know, some statistics. I was just having a look recently. Uh, a journal called PNAS, which I've never seen before, uh, but it said that 35% of people exposed to the COVID virus didn't get any symptoms whatsoever. I'm one of we, them. I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. Whereas we know that other people who um, unluckily bumped into this virus uh, died from it. So a dramatic difference. Um, and the question is why did some people who were exposed to the COVID virus uh, not have any symptoms whatsoever, yet others uh, succumbed uh, to that illness? What is the difference? And that is really where terrain theory um, comes to play, is trying to understand the factors which influence whether you are vulnerable to that infectious organism or whether you are not. So that's terrain theory. And... You know, I, I believe that during the COVID uh, response, we really missed some opportunities because we were fixated on germ theory. Uh, and, and I understand the reasons for that, uh, and they were legitimate uh, reasons, but I think we missed an opportunity to use terrain theory and for people to think about, am I eating well at this time? Am I exercising regularly? Am I managing my stress well? You know, despite the difficulties, am I making opportunities to communicate with people? Uh, am I spending some quiet time? Am I relaxing effectively? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what terrain theory is. Uh, we missed the opportunity to talk about vitamin D, to talk about micronutrients, to talk about fish oils, to talk about supporting the immune system. And terrain theory would suggest that all of those factors would have been important. But where it gets really interesting, when you compare terrain theory and uh, germ theory in the COVID response, which was most powerful? You know, where, where did we have the most ability to influence? You know, was sort of germ theory 99% of the equation and terrain theory just one? Or was it that terrain theory has the greatest opportunity and the germ theory was, you know, only 10% of it? You know, that's, to me, the interesting part. You know, and, and it's silly to go, it's germ theory or terrain theory. Of course it's not. It, it's a combination of, of both, as it always is. The interesting argument is where does that percentage influence sit and I think that would be a fantastic scientific discussion to begin well no one was being locked down for threatening to eat well no but interestingly we were told off for wanting to exercise yeah no but what I'm saying is you know think of it flipped yeah and and saying that um you know locking locking people down or uh, or or, to, or well, actually, they did prevent them from eating well in a way. So I don't know where I was going with that analogy. I had something on the uh, uh, the top of my I head distracted there, but... you. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, no. Well, there wasn't a regime saying that you'd be locked down if you didn't go out and eat well. No. It was the other right. way around. That's right. And, and, and it was clearly a germ theory-driven Obsession, response. actually. Um, yeah, a germ, a germ theory predominant uh, response to, to the COVID pandemic. And I think through that 
very focused approach, germ theory focused approach, we missed some really big opportunities that I think would be fantastic to talk about yeah. uh, in case we are faced with a similar situation in the future. You know, and it's all about learning through experience. Could we incorporate more terrain theory to a response to a similar situation in the future? There was, though, more. It was, it was sort of more than that, though, wasn't it? There was efforts to shut down alternatives. Okay, so I know there are other treatments, and that's not necessarily um, terrain theory. But, you know, there was every effort to close off all the exits to anything else except one approach. So it wasn't just, you know, let's get the best out of both or tolerate the other or whatever. There was no tolerance. Yeah, and I understand the motivation for that. Uh, I, I I believe the motivation was that if there were alternatives, it may have reduced the acceptance of the vaccination, the COVID-19 vaccination, if it was viewed that there was an alternative strategy. So I do understand that. Yeah, but I understand we, it as well. Yeah, I, I understand. We were, yeah, if we were to move into a similar situation in the future, I hope that we could be more uh, accommodating and look at a whole combination of solutions and not just uh, a single focused solution, realising that if we do multiple things at the same time, we'll get better outcomes than if we just focus on a single response. When you instill fear into people, that must affect their immune system. Yeah. And, then, and people were really scared, yeah. really scared. You're making a, a, a really good point. You know, there, I think germ theory takes away autonomy. It, it really says that I'm constantly vulnerable and at risk, whereas the terrain theory is an empowering theory, isn't it? It says yeah. that you have the ability largely with what you do and how you respond to influence how you will be affected if you do come into contact with the germ, whatever that germ might be. So I think it's a, a vulnerability model versus an empowerment model. And, you know, I, I'm all about health uh, and health involves empowerment and knowledge. Uh, and that's why the terrain theory um, appeals to me and why I would emphasise the terrain theory, but not to the point where you say germs don't exist. You know, that's that's just Obviously they silly. Do. Yeah. But, but we're not all equally vulnerable. And we certainly saw that in COVID, didn't we? We saw that the people who were most vulnerable to becoming very sick were elderly, those with comorbid conditions, which largely are lifestyle related. Uh, you know, the elderly and the sick, and probably the malnourished, you know, and and that was the vulnerable group, uh, and that's perhaps where we could have put the most uh, emphasis in terms of perhaps checking vitamin D levels, perhaps encouraging all of those lifestyle factors, which we know through terrain theory are effective. Well, people, you made the point just before, every time we walk into a germ, we don't necessarily come down with something. People know that anyway. We know that anyway. I mean, we've been around sick people in the office 
maybe one or two might pick something up, but most people really don't. If they do, it's hardly anything. We have that, boy, do we forget about those things in our lives? Yeah. And uh, I actually asking the question, what, what influences that is really interesting, you know, getting down to that next level of detail. I think we've talked on the show before about vitamin D. I, I think vitamin D, the sunlight hormone, is probably extremely important. Zinc, we know, is a powerful antiviral um, nutrient, and many, many people are zinc deficient. You know, so there's probably some very, very simple things that we can do that will improve our immune system and make us less vulnerable. And then if we do get unwell, to be less unwell than we could have and, you know, take it to the end scale that we don't die from a, an infectious disease. Yeah, but that's where your, your germ theory backup comes in, right? That's how that works, isn't it? Yeah, and and you did right. Um, and I love the word backup. You know, it's I think everybody should be doing terrain theory, and then we will sometimes need the backup, the plan B, which is the antibiotics or and the hospitalization and the wonderful things that can nowadays occur in a hospital that are incredibly life-saving. You know, that's the backup plan. That's not plan A and the only plan. You know, I think I think everyone has a degree of personal responsibility to make sure that they are as well as they possibly can be. And when we do need the wonderful services of the hospital, it's amazing that they are there for us. And we don't want those to disappear. No, no, we don't. No. I can tell you that from personal experience. We do not yeah. want those to disappear. So we've talked about the ideal health system or, or a different sort of health system, uh, more fit for purpose. So it would be that system, you know, in the big picture, including the, you know, the emergency facilities, but in the big picture primary right through, really it should be geared fundamentally, initially anyway, from the terrain theory side, shouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And and that's what I'm involved in. I'm involved in lifestyle medicine, which is terrain theory uh, to a large extent. But I think that lifestyle medicine needs a bit of rebranding. Oh. Uh, I think when you think of the term lifestyle medicine, it sounds just a little bit nice, a little bit kind, a little bit... Um, you know, <laughs> perhaps it sounds a little bit hippie-ish, you know, whereas... Yeah, lifestyle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's extremely powerful. It's it's where all the power is, yet it's not branded correctly. So, you know, I'd love to see it rebranded as something like metabolic medicine. You know, it sounds... More technical, more, more med- medically. More powerful as well, you know, so... So that's what I'd Metabolic like. Metabolic medicine, yeah. Okay. No, I'd like to see that. And I think that's where most of the power is with the backup of germ theory. Right. So, yeah, that's that's what I'd love to see. And I think primary care, general practice, needs to largely be focused on terrain theory and metabolic medicine. And I'm very, very happy that hospital focuses on germ theory and germ theory response. I think that's a really lovely balance that that I would love to see created within our healthcare system. And working on the, the assumption that most of us are free living organisms in the community outside of the medical system that are just thriving 
um, fueling ourselves with good food and exercise and wonderful relationships. You know, we, we're not actually involved in any medical care. And when you do need it, you start with lifestyle treatments. And then eventually, if you do require it, you might need a medicine or an antibiotic or a hospital admission. You know, that to me is my new model of, of how the healthcare system, it's largely terrain theory with plan B being your germ theory. And metabolic medicine rather than lifestyle medicine. Yeah, I can see how that could be more, carry more gravitas. Yeah, I was actually did a talk about that recently, and I was I was thinking who would front, you know, in the past who's fronted lifestyle medicine, and I instantly thought of Phoebe from Friends. You know, she's kind of a bit quirky, quite lovely. Um, you know, I thought that's kind of who represents um, lifestyle medicine. But then I thought, who do I really want to represent? Um, lifestyle medicine and I, it's Russell Crowe from Mad Max. Oh, yeah. that's, okay. that's lifestyle medicine. Or Mel Gibson. It, Mel Gibson. Yeah. Oh, was it Mel Gibson? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's hardcore. You know, it's like it's effective. It's strong. You know, it's powerful nutritional therapies. It's targeted exercise plans. And it's if someone annoys you, you shoot them. You know, that, that, that kind <laughs> of – that's the kind of – power that I see these lifestyle interventions having, but it's not how it's portrayed. And I think if we could portray it differently and people saw how powerful these interventions were, you know, we talked before on uh, mental health, didn't we? And we went that in mild depression, a uh, antidepressant has about a 6% impact, whereas exercise has a 15%, you know, effectiveness. So why are we focusing on the weak and effective medication and ignoring the powerful kick-ass exercise prescription. You know, and that's kind of the point I'd like to get across is that these metabolic therapies are where the power is. We've just got to change the branding a little bit so that people recognize that. We'll get some marketers onto it. I was just thinking again as you were talking, um, terrain theory or metabolic medicine is a kind of freedom because the other the other way, the germ theory way of living, you're always tethered to something. You never get away from something. You're always tethered. There's always those lines attached. You always have to go back and get this and that and, and have a feeling of dependency. You lose your power. Yes, and you can be controlled, um, I, I think. And I, I'm not I'm not wanting to sound critical of it. It's just what we've grown up with. But, you know, it's between 1980 and now, we've seen a dramatic change and we need a new way of doing things. We just haven't caught up yet. You know, so I, I just, you know, things take time to change. In medicine, it's about 50 years. Wow. Uh, okay. You know, it, it doesn't change quickly. You know, they say medicine changes with the death of one professor at a time. You know, it takes it takes time to change. I'm thinking that now is the, you know, we're getting close to that 50 years where between, you know, are we 50 years? We're getting close, aren't we? 43 years between now and, and, and 1980. Then, it's 80, about yeah. now that that change is due to occur. And, and these conversations that we're having, I hope, should lead that change from germ theory, predominant medicine, 
two-terrain theory predominant medicine, but not to throw the baby out with bathwater because if I get pneumonia, I want to have access of, of to the course. antibiotics, of yeah. course, but I don't want to get pneumonia in the first place. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm not planning to. No, neither am I. Is there anywhere in the world, any cultures or countries operating or starting to operate in this way more than us where we can sort of see results? Yeah. Do we know? Fantastic question. I think germ theory is the predominant way of thinking in, in Western worlds, but when you go back into more traditional cultures, I think it's entirely brain theory. It would have to be, wouldn't it? It would have to be because that's your environment and you're you're in it. Well, uh, I guess I guess there's quite a lot of um, there's herbal medicines used a lot, isn't it? But um, you know, yeah, terrain theory is is the way of traditional cultures. Um, we've had this short flirtatious uh, period with germ theory, but I think we probably should be getting back to our our roots. And, and focusing on the strength of the host. Well, m- making it happen is the issue, isn't it? And it seems to me that as part of that sort of monolith of germ theory that's built up over all this time, you've also got a whole, you know, industrial complex that goes with it that's going to resist any change because that inevitably means lower sales. Yeah, you made an extremely good a good point there and I don't think the pharmaceutical industry needs to lose any money here because these are not either or discussions these are these are sort of complementary to each other you know so I, I think we can see both working together but we'd want to minimize the germ because if if terrain theory is working well the germ theory needs are lowered aren't they yeah, theoretically, but I think the reality is there'll still be enough sick people uh, around, uh, despite uh, you know, despite these changes that we're proposing. I, I, I don't think the pharmaceutical industry will go broke uh, as a consequence of the discussion that we're having now. I just hope that uh, you know we will need their services less often. Um, um, are there good places to go and sort of do your own do your own research on on you know? For, I mean, we, we're having a chat and we're probably only just you know scratching the surface in the time we have. Um, where are the good sources of information? There's reversalnz.co.nz is number one. Um, yeah. But what do you suggest people do? And because because a change of thinking is required here. You see, yeah. Um- I, I love the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. Uh, some really good resources discussions there. Uh, but I would probably be fair to say that you know most of the wellness industry works on terrain theory. You know, if we're talking about our health food shop, our naturopaths, our chiropractors, our osteopaths, you know, uh, our traditional. Um, Maori medicine, our traditional healers, they are predominantly working on terrain theory. So, um, you know, I think the majority of health practitioners work on this model. It's just um, medicine, particularly hospital-based medicine, 
uh, that works on terrain theory. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's early days, really, isn't it? Kind of, um, yeah. even though it's been forty years, it's <laughs> still early days. <laughs> All right, well, we've. We've and we've covered some of the things that you can avoid already in um, earlier programs with this sort of um, way of looking after yourself. In the end, that's what it is. Anything more to add to that? Um, yeah, I, we, I could talk for hours, as you've probably noticed, particularly after I've had a coffee. But um, I think that's a nice introduction to to the the concept of sort of um, empowerment medicine. Really, well, that's a good name. Actually, yeah, it's another. That's another candidate for for renaming empowerment medicine. Yeah, I like that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> register that one as soon as you can, Glenn. Get the URL. Yeah, yeah get the URL and then trade it later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, so, so what should we what should we talk about next week? Well, I'm sure. Uh, I keep thinking he's going to run out of topics at some point because there's only so many things you can you can talk about health. But what do I know? I am sure there are just so many more. Um, what, one thing that I'd be curious about is, I mean, you're the doctor, so you know you're seeing the patient, and, and you you kind of know what to expect there. But the other way around, you know, um, I mean, is there a is there a, a best way to be a patient? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I say it's to be impatient. Um, that actually word patient comes from the Latin party. It means to be subservient. Yes, I know that. Yeah. Do what you're told. So Wrong be impatient. Word. Be Wrong impatient. Word. Okay, but um, how about what to expect from your annual checkup? Okay, that's patient. Fo- oh, sorry. That's um, client. Client, client focused. focused. Yeah, what to yeah. expect. And maybe what that involves without going into too much detail, but, and why, why certain things are are checked. Okay. Great topic. What, what to expect from your annual checkup. We'll cover that next Monday. Sounds good, Glenn. Thank you for uh, the health hacks. Plenty of people are um, uh, feeding back. They, they love the show. So nice one. Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me again. RCR with Paul Brennan, reality check radio.